This past week, I hosted my first Chicago History Podcast Trivia Night, and boy, did I learn a lot. First of all, I had a great time. No matter how much flop sweat audience members may have seen, I got to meet people who listen to the podcast, and a few of them actually showed up with episode ideas. As I mentioned on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages earlier this week, in my quest to make things challenging, I may have gone a wee bit overboard. Next time, I'll need to find a better balance. I've cobbled together some of the audio from the other night, along with some of my thoughts as to the questions and process. Enjoy. Oh, I almost forgot. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. Before we get into it, special thanks to my friends Zach, Emily, Laura, Deirdre, Joho, and Stephanie for their suggestions and help with setup. Thanks to Liz Cavanaugh and the staff at Lizard's Liquid Lounge in Albany Park for giving me a place to host this event. And thanks to all the friendly trivia nerds ranging in age from early 20s to older that came out. Keep in mind, I've edited out the long spaces where I gave teams a chance to discuss the question. I don't want you to think I fired these off all rat-a-tat at them. First up, we did a general multiple-choice round. Behind the bar tonight is the lovely and talented Bonnie. Let's hear it for Bonnie. Make sure you tip her well and tip her often. Is everybody ready to play? Question number one. Which of the names listed below is not the name of a street in Chicago? A. Manton. B. Miltimore. C. Millhouse. Or D. Mango. One of those is not a street in Chicago. Okay, I'm going to stop already. I find street names kind of fascinating, especially ones that have been renamed but still have old-timey signs up from their long-forgotten names. If you want to hear more about that, check out episode 307 of this podcast. Which company is credited with first introducing hot dogs in Chicago? Is it A, Vienna Beef, B, Oscar Mayer, C, Hebrew National, or D, David Berg? Now, I just did an episode about the Chicago hot dog, and this was multiple choice, but maybe one of the selections should have been completely non-hot dog related, like Montgomery Ward. Moving on. When the Chicago theater closed in 1985, which two movies were on the marquee? Was it A, Plenty with Meryl Streep and Charles Dance and Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox? B, Grace Quigley with Katherine Hepburn and Nick Nolte and American Ninja with Michael Dudikoff. C, Year of the Dragon with Mickey Rourke and Godzilla 1985. Or D, American Ninja and Teen Wolf. At its completion in 1974, the Sears Tower became the tallest building in A, Chicago, B, Illinois, C, The World, or D, All of the Above. Who was the first performer slash band to appear at Papa Creek Music Center in Hoffman Estates on June 6, 1980? Was it Chicago? B, Bob Hope, 
C, John Denver, or D, Lawrence Welk. Five of Chicago's mayors all come from the same neighborhood. Is it A, Albany Park, B, Bridgeport, C, Canaryville, or D, Douglas Park? What was the original name of O'Hare Airport? Was it A, Chicago Air Park, B, Rosemont Airfield, C, Orchard Field Airport, or D, Pelwaukee Airport. And now the answers to that round's questions. First question, which of the names listed below is not the name of a street in Chicago? It's Millhouse. He's the guy from The Simpsons. Come on. Believe it or not, those are all real Chicago street names. Every time I drive by one, I go, really? There's a street called Mango? There's one over here called Pensacola? What's that about? Millhouse was the answer. Number two, which company is credited with first introducing hot dogs in Chicago? It was David Berg. A few of you did get that. Pretty great. Number three, when the Chicago Theater closed in 1985, which two movies were on the marquee? That was American Ninja and Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox. Look right there. The Chicago Theater is one of those grand old movie palaces in the city, which closed for a while in the 1980s and was reopened less than a year later after a big rehab that cost $13.3 million. That's nearly $36 million in today's money. As I only know it from after the rehab, it is hard to imagine the Chicago Theater in all its glory ever showing American Ninja and Teen Wolf to audiences there. At its completion in 1974, the Sears Tower became the tallest building in all of the above. For 25 years, it was the tallest building in the world. Number five, who's the first performer band to appear at Papa Creek Music Center? How many of you went to the Papa Creek Music Center when it was around, by the way? Anyone? Of course you did. Yeah, like six people. Jeez, I'm old. Uh, the answer is John Denver. That's the way you lead things off. By the way, uh, Lawrence Welk did appear, Bob Hope did appear, Chicago did appear, but the first was John Denver, because that guy knows how to party. Oh, so this was included in another episode I did about 1980, the Summer of Entertainment, which saw the opening of the Rosemont Horizon, now called Allstate Arena, right by the airport, and Poplar Creek Music Center, which was in the suburbs. I have no issue with John Denver, but I think if you're really trying to draw the crowds in the summer of 1980 to your new venue, hmm. Next one, five of Chicago's mayors all come from the same neighborhood. It is... Bridgeport, Edward Kelly, Martin Kelly, The Dailies, and the beloved Michael Blandick. I know, nobody like Blandick. So, I love movies filmed in Chicago. I have friends who ask me if I'll even see dumb movies shot in Chicago, to which I answer, does Rampage, starring Dwayne Johnson, or the Transformers movies count? Apparently they do. I should have figured not everyone loves movies shot in Chicago as much as I do, or maybe they won't remember the minutiae quite like I do. Here are a few of those movie-related questions. In 1989's Uncle Buck, what actress played Buck's girlfriend, Shanice Kobolowski? That is a darn good Chicago name, if I do say so myself. What 1948 film was loosely based on the true story of Ted Marcinkowicz and Joe Machik? 
Two men in their 20s wrongfully convicted for the murder of a Chicago policeman. Actor Steve McQueen's final film included a Pontiac Grand Prix driving off the 17th floor of Marina City into the Chicago River. What was the name of that film? What is the name of the famous actor who left Chicago in 1915 after 23 days saying, it's too damn cold? The 1979 film My Bodyguard includes scenes shot at what? Chicago High School. 1979 film My Bodyguard with Adam Baldwin and Chris Makepeace. I'll give you a hint, it is within four miles from here. I'll give you an even better hint, it's within three miles of here. And now the answers to that round's questions. In 1989's Uncle Buck, one actress played Buck's girlfriend, Shanice Kowalowski. That is the lovely and talented Amy Madigan, who was also in Field of Dreams. Mary Dad Harris, you're right. What 1948 film was loosely based on the true story of Ted Marcinkowitz and Joe Maychick, two men in their 20s wrongfully convicted for the murder of a Chicago policeman? That was called Northside 777 with Jimmy Stewart. That was actually one of the first big studio movies shot here in Chicago. Number seven, actor Steve McQueen's final film included a Pontiac Grand Prix driving off the 17th floor of Marina City into the Chicago River. What was the name of the film? That was the hunter. Look, I got a gift of the car going in the river. Come on, look how cool that is. The hunter. What is the name of the famous actor who left Chicago in 1915 after 23 days saying, It's too damn cold? Many of you got this right. It's Charlie Chaplin. Although the Los Angeles newspaper spelled his name with an E-Y. And number 10, the 1979 film My Bodyguard includes scenes shot at what? Chicago High School? That's Lakeview High School at Irving and Ashland. You haven't seen it yet. That's not more than three miles. Come on. 1,630? No, we're okay. That's within two miles. What are you talking about? Next up was the picture round where everyone got handouts with pictures on them. Here are some of those. For those of you who listen to the podcast, every one of these people or places or events have been covered in an episode. Mayor Anton Cermak worked in the coal mines in Braidwood, Illinois at age 11, and then he became mayor. He was killed by a bullet in Miami in 1933 while campaigning for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Next up, Montgomery Ward Thorne, heir to the Montgomery Award Fortune. He died mysteriously at age 20, leaving behind a fortune that would be worth right around $30 million today. A young Jane Addams became a pioneering social worker in Chicago and won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1931. I went a little young. This is her graduation picture from the Rockford Seminary. There you go. Next up, the High Bridge Suicide Bridge of Lincoln Park. It was 75 feet over the water of the South Lagoon. People often jumped off of that, and they eventually dismantled it and changed the entire structure of that lagoon. 
So there you go. Did a whole episode about a suicide bridge. Much like I did a whole episode about this guy, Jack Johnson. The first African-American heavyweight boxer in 1908. He had a lot of trouble with the law. He, uh, he liked the ladies. Up until now, I had been grading all the papers at the end of the round, which took forever until my friend Joe Ho reminded me it's so much easier to have the teams trade answer sheets and grade each other than just read out the scores. So much easier. Thanks again, Joe. We are in Chicago, so of course we did a sports round. Here are a few of those questions. From 1920 to 1926, Wrigley Field was known by what name? Before they were known as the Chicago Bears, what was the team called? There are two possible answers. You get credit for either one. Oh boy, look how cocky you got. Yeah. In addition to the Chicago Fire Football Club, there is a professional women's soccer team in Chicago. What are they called? The Chicago Bears signed a five-year lease in 1971 to move the team to what suburb? For everyone who's upset about them going to Arlington Heights, they planned to leave before. They just didn't get a chance to go through with it. Where do the Chicago Bulls play their home games during their first season? What baseball team drew a bigger crowd than both the Cubs and the White Sox on a Sunday in 1911? I just did an episode about this a couple weeks ago. And now the answers to that round's questions. Number one, from 1920 to 1926, Wrigley Field was known by what name? Cubs Park. It was Weekman Field from 1914 to 1920 and wasn't called Wrigley Field until 1927. Cubs Park. Before they were known as the Chicago Bears, what was the team called? There are two possible answers, and here are the two answers. The Decatur Staleys or the Chicago Staleys. In addition to the Chicago Fire Football Club, there is a professional women's soccer team in Chicago. What are they called? They're called the Chicago Red Stars. Number eight, the Chicago Bears signed a five-year lease in 1971 to move the team to what suburb? That was Evanston. They were going to move to Dice Stadium. It is now the Northwestern Stadium. What's that called now? Ryan Field. Yeah. It was signed, but the uh, people at Evanston did not want the noise or the commotion and said no. Where did the Chicago Bulls play their home games during their first season? I hope a lot of you got this right. It was the International Amphitheater. Number 10, what baseball team drew a bigger crowd than both the Cubs and the White Sox on a Sunday in 1911? That was the Chicago American Giants. Just did an episode on this, folks. Rube Foster and the Chicago American Giants. There's Rube right in the middle. Handsome, handsome-looking guy. I thought I might get six rounds in, but it topped off at five. The final one of the night I called Dark Chicago, dealing with some of the more grisly or macabre Chicago subjects. Number one, how many student nurses were at the apartment on East 100th Street when a young drifter named Richard Speck showed up there in July of 1966, 
committing one of the most gruesome mass murders the city has ever known. How many student nurses were at the apartment? Later in the afternoon of August 16, 1921, roughly 10,000 men gathered on Central Park Avenue, just south of Foster, that's less than two miles from here, and caravan to suburban Lake Zurich for what event? Serial killer H.H. Holmes' mysterious ways were chronicled in the book The Devil in the White City. What currently occupies the site of Holmes' murder castle? I'm going to give everybody a huge hint. It is a federal building. United States troops lost to what Native American tribe at the Battle of Fort Dearborn in 1812? Women, children, and soldiers all gutted. Told you it was grizzly. Battle of Fort Dearborn, what Native American tribe? While the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 blazed, a far deadlier fire occurred in a logging town in Wisconsin. What is the name of that town? Many of those aboard the ship called Eastland, which turned over and claimed the lives of 844 people, worked for what company? Who was the first Chicago mayor to be killed while in office? There have been two mayors killed. Birthday clown and serial killer John Wayne Gacy was convicted of how many murders in March of 1980? All right, number one, how many student nurses were at the apartment on East 100th Street when a young drifter named Richard Speck? Blah, 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 step, 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 kill, kill, kill. There were nine. Eight were killed. One stayed hidden under the bed. She was the one that ran out screaming the next morning. They're all dead. They're all dead. They're all dead. This part actually threw me a little bit. One of the people in the audience asked if I knew the surviving nurse's name from the Richard Speck incident, which I did not. Kudos to her for knowing it. Nine. Oh, good question. You know what? I think we've got a winner for an extra point today. Look at that. Nicely done. Oh, yeah. Wow. I gotta tell you, are you married to one of these guys? Are you single? Watch out. Good. Watch out. Thinking maybe I found my new love. You can put me Number two, late in the afternoon of August 16, 1921, roughly 10,000 men gathered on Central Park Avenue, just south of Foster. That's about two miles from here. Caravan to Suburban, Lake Zurich for a Ku Klux Klan rally held at the property that belonged to Cubs owner, I missed the ass there, Charles Wiegman. Not his best moment to give up his farm for a Klan rally that ended up topping out at 12,000 people. <laughs> they had plenty of torches. It, uh, it was an interesting uh, learning experience to find out how big the Klan was in the 1920s in Chicago. Yikes. Serial killer H.H. Holmes murderous ways chronicled in the book The Devil in the White City. What currently occupies the site of Holmes' murder castle? That would be the Englewood branch of the U.S. Post Office. Number six, United States troops lost to what Native American tribe at the Battle of Fort Dearborn in 1812? 
Although they had the support of the Miami tribe, they lost to the Potawatomi tribe. Potawatomi. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. Number seven, while the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 blazed, a far deadlier fire occurred in a logging town in Wisconsin. What is the name of that town? Nice, it is Peshtigo. 1,200 plus people died there compared to the 300 that died here, and yet you rarely hear about Peshtigo, Wisconsin. So there you go. Number eight, many of those aboard the ship called Eastland, which turned over and claimed the lives of 844 people, worked for what company? Western Electric. Western Electric, which is based in Hawthorne. That's a section of Cicero. Nicely done. Number nine, who was the first Chicago mayor to be killed while in office? Carter Harrison. Carter H. Oh. Harrison. 1893, at the end of the World's Fair. They were about to close the World's Fair. An angry guy showed up who uh, felt he was owed a job, shot him in his front hallway. Worst place to get shot. Birthday clown and serial killer John Wayne Gacy was convicted of how many murders in March of 1980? 33. Oh. 33. 33. It's weird that we're celebrating the deaths of 33 young boys, but somehow we found a way to make that happen. When everything was tallied, regular podcast listener Dennis came out on top. Surprisingly, we had four teams that tied for second place, so we had a four-question runoff for those teams, with one team taking home second prize. So there you have it, a taste of the first Chicago History Podcast trivia night. Again, I had great fun, flop sweat and all, and I'm looking forward to doing it again. Thanks for listening to this episode featuring highlights from the first ever Chicago History Podcast Trivia Night. This episode was researched, written, recorded, and edited by me, Tommy Henry. If you have questions about anything covered today, anything to add or have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear about it. And I do mean here. You can leave me a voice message just by going to chicagohistorypod.com and clicking on the microphone in the lower right corner. Depending on the content of your message, I may play it on a future episode, so keep it clean. That mind-blowing art for the podcast you see used on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages, that was created by the devious mind of John K. Schneider. If you need art for your project, reach out to John at AngelEyesArtJKS on Instagram or via email at AngelEyesArtJKS at gmail.com. I will be back soon with more stories from Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.